I will read the scripture for today. Psalm 67. May the Lord be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your saving power among nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. We're in a series over the summer just looking through some psalms. And uh, it's been a great journey. And we've just kind of said that the psalms are really about um, what it looks like to respond to God in real everyday life, full of emotion. We're not all put together. We're just coming to him as we are. And today, the the psalm that we're going to be looking at is Psalm chapter 67. Now, this psalm uh, is known by some as the missionary psalm because it really talks about God's plan for the gospel in us and God's plan for the gospel through us. And so we have the privilege of looking at uh, Psalm 67 with kind of reverse lenses. We get to look back on it through the work of Christ instead of looking at it to the work of Christ. So I want to read... uh, well, here's the, here's the direction I'm going. I'll tell you kind of where we're going. I want to look at our kind of our current condition culturally and like how we see the gospel, especially in the South, especially in Atlanta. Then I want to look at the gospel in us, and then I want to look at the gospel through us. But I think Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, kind of show us what the gospel does in us. So here I'm going to read this for us, and then we're going to dig in. Colossians 1, 5 and 6 says this. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven... Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does also among you since the days you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. So what we see about the gospel is that it's made to continue to grow. It's not this one-time thing that we experience, but it's made to continue to grow within us And it's made to continue to grow throughout the world through us. And this is where Psalm 67 takes us today. It's the the natural progression of the gospel. A a few years ago, um, a guy named Kevin Roos transferred from an Ivy League school called Brown University to go to Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, And for one semester, he presented himself um, as a follower of Jesus by going to prayer meetings, Bible studies, and even evangelistic outreaches, he began to fit into the culture very well. His fellow Liberty students didn't know it, but Roos was a cultural anthropologist who had recently signed a contract to publish a book that uncovered the conservative evangelical world. So it wasn't necessarily a mockery of the, of the conservative evangelical movement, it was an exploratory kind of research thing from the outside looking in. And he, he published this book called The Unlikely Disciple, I think in 2009 or 2010. Now, Roos was nervous about going into the experiment because he wasn't a Christian. Um, he didn't know the Bible, and he had no idea how it would fit in and how this would really uh, work out. And so, so he, was, he was a little bit nervous about the, the, the situation, but what he discovered is that the, the folks were so nice and so gentle and so respectful of him that, that they actually made a delight to hang out with him. But the thing that he noticed that I want to draw attention to uh, was, was really the centrality of the gospel in their community. Um, 
He said this after a, 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 few, a, a few months that he had been there. Uh, people were calling him a true man of the Lord. And he was even invited by a campus ministry uh, to, to lead the prayer meeting for the next semester in, the, in this particular meeting. Uh, so he says this, and I quote, At school, no one asks me about my faith anymore, so I blend in. I rarely have to, to do anything except keep up my Christian signifiers, you know, going to Bible study, praying before meals, and being on time to church. This is what passes for ethical conduct in my world at school. I don't know how I've managed it, but I think I've managed to convince most of these guys that I was a strong, faithful, evangelical Christian. So then he goes on to confess to his classmates before he transfers out and writes his book, uh, what he's been doing. And they're, they're so disturbed, uh, and it killed them because, um, you know, they had been with him for an entire semester, and that he, 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 had, he had put on the face that he was a follower of Jesus, and he, he really wasn't. Now, here, here's the hook for all of this. Why am I sharing this with you? Because this is what we deal with day in and day out, living in an evangelically, evangelically saturated kind of culture like Atlanta. Uh, the gospel kind of becomes trivial to us. So, so the problem that we encounter is this, is that it, it, we, we, we can lose the gospel if we're not careful. Now, I don't, I don't want to confuse you to say we can lose our salvation. We can lose the true message of the gospel. A guy named Mark, Mark Stiles says it like this. He's, here's how to lose the gospel in four easy steps. The first one is this. Uh, the gospel is accepted. So we receive the gospel, the message of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We receive that, and, and we, we believe that. And then, then what goes on from that is that the gospel becomes assumed. So we begin to, uh, as a culture, assume that people get the gospel because there's so many churches in Atlanta, because all of our friends have a church affiliation. We begin to assume that we get the gospel. And then, and then from that, uh, the gospel becomes confused. So, so the gospel becomes this kind of trivial thing that, uh, that becomes a, an adjective for, uh, for living as a Christian instead of the source uh, and the news of our identity in Jesus. And so it begins to become confused, and there, there, there are kind of people around us that think the gospel is one thing, but it's really another thing. And then the fourth one is the saddest. He says, and after it becomes confused, the gospel becomes lost. We lose the power of the gospel. Uh, and, and, and if we're left with the responsibility to advance the gospel, as Psalm 67 calls us to do, apart from the power and work of Jesus alive inside of us, we are up a creek without a paddle because we cannot do it. And so he asked this question, you know, so how do we combat this? How do we know if we're losing the gospel, if we're assuming the gospel, if we're confusing the gospel? He says, the, the indicator becomes clear, we, we don't hear the gospel anymore. So we're content, let me, let me put it this way, we're content to get in religious gatherings, small groups, maybe even discipleship groups. We're content to talk around the ideas that Christians talk around, but never really talk about the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're content to go to churches and, and meetings where Jesus, the, the gospel of Jesus isn't confronting us. We, we can hear a sermon and the gospel not be in it and us be okay with it. You know, we can gather together as God's people and the gospel not be empowering us to obey Jesus. And that, that becomes really easy to do. And as Colossians chapter 1 reminds us, what we have to always do is keep the gospel 
in front of us every single day. You know why? Because we are so prone to forget it. We're so prone to forget it. We, we, as the song says, we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That is our tendency. That's why we have to keep the person and the work of Jesus right in front of us. So now let's turn to Psalm 67 and see how we do this. To see how we can avoid losing the gospel, confusing the gospel, assuming the gospel in our community and in our context. Because we would look... We would look at our culture from the outside in and say, man, things are really going well in Atlanta. Look at how many churches are there. Look at how many people maybe even call, call themselves a Christian and attend a church. But yet, it's just, a, it's just a, a metric that people judge themselves by. The gospel isn't really at work in them. So, so w- what I've learned to do living in Atlanta for five years is that when, when folks come to me and they say, hey, I go to such and such church, I say, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. But what does Jesus mean to you? What does he mean to you? We have to make a beeline for Jesus to avoid the confusion that an evangelical culture can bring. So here's why we need these truths this morning. Because this, for the gospel to go wide through us, which is what we've all been commanded to do, for it to go through us, it must go deep in us. And this is what Psalm 67 talks about. So let's open our Bibles to Psalm chapter 67. Uh, I'm going to make two points out of Psalm 67. of The gospel in us and the gospel through us. So let's look at the first two verses here in Psalm 67. They are a reiteration of the blessing uh, that Moses gave to Aaron in, in Isaiah 67. And the, and, but, but attached to this is the mission to advance the gospel throughout the world. Hear, hear, hear the words. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. That, in order that, your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among the nations. Now, we, we, we can typically read these introductions like this and just kind of blow right past all of the beauty and all of the gospel that exists for us in those two verses. So I want to dig down in this a little bit this morning. <clears throat> Basically what he's saying is that our participation in God's way of being known on earth, the way that he set up his church and his word going forth is to go deep in his people and then to go through his people. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, you know, the gospel going forth to the nations uh, really revolves around the gospel going deep inside of us, making his face to shine upon us. I mean, what, what does it mean for God's face to shine upon us? It means for him to have us to have favor in his sight, to be, to be worthy of, of His presence in our lives. Now, our, the, worth, the worth that we have and the worthiness that we have in God's sight is not found in how well we obey Him. It's the mistake we make. Because when we find ourselves dealing with a continuous, a continuous struggle with sin or a continuous struggle with disobedience, whatever it would be, we lower our faces because we think that God has turned His face from us and we are filled with shame. Are you a Christian that walks around in shame this morning? I'm not talking about repentance where you deal with your sin and you know that God has forgiven you and you repent of it. I'm talking about this constant weight, this constant baggage of shame that you know you don't line up and that God really doesn't love you is the, 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 the gospel that you preach to yourself, which is no gospel at all. Do you walk around with shame? Do you walk around wishing that you could be someone else? 
Because shame is always at the door knocking in our lives. The door of our heart is always knocking, is always close at hand. And it's saying this message. You are flawed and you are unacceptable. And most of us take the bait every single time. We take it. Psalm 67 is reminding us that because of God's one-way love down toward us, God shines His face at us. Our shame no longer defines us. The blessing of God's presence comes from His love in coming to us. But the story of the Gospel is this beautiful story that our shame doesn't define us anymore. That we are loved and deeply accepted in the sight of God and empowered to obey Him in all of life. And this story of the Gospel constantly haunts the faces of shame. It constantly dispels it. But what you and I are tempted to do is to look at the gospel a couple of times in our life and get to work for the gospel. But the power of living unto God before the face of God, letting His countenance shine upon us, is coming back to the same old truths. As Tim Keller says, the, the, the gospel are not the ABCs of the Christian faith. They're the A to Z of the Christian faith. They are the whole thing. And so the gospel confronts us. And we need to hear it because of what Romans 10, 17 says. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the word of the Lord. Are you hearing the gospel, friends? Are you hearing it on a consistent basis? From the fellowship that you share with others? From the church that you attend, may it be this one or another one? And for yourself, as you study the life and work of Jesus in the Bible? Are you hearing the gospel? Because your faith to obey comes from hearing the gospel, according to Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is so eager to apply the work of Jesus to your life. He's so eager. But He does it through the word. We have to be reminded of the word. And here's a diagnostic question for you this morning. How much of my life can I live without grace? So think about your life. Think about what you do and what you're about and the things that you participate in. How many of those things can you do without the grace of God? If we're honest, there's a lot of things that I try to do without the grace of God. There's a lot of things that you try to do without the grace of God. But we really can't, in all honesty, do any of those things effectively to God's glory without God's grace because He empowers us to do everything that He's called us to. And grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's Him shining His face upon us when we can't pull our heads out of the sand to see Him ourselves. He shines His face upon us. And in Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to know this morning. God is far more pleased with you than you are with yourself. He's far more pleased with you than you are of yourself. As we discover the words of the Scripture, I just want to read you a few things that are true of you if you're in Jesus Christ. You have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. You are a chosen and a royal priesthood, not an accident that brings God shame. You are blameless and free from accusation. You are forgiven of everything you've done are doing and will do in Jesus. You are healed, according to Isaiah 53. You are loved, and not only loved, but kept forever. You are children. You have peace with God. You're not at odds with God anymore. You have peace 
with him according to Romans 5. You are one with God and he dwells within you through his spirit. You are God's workmanship. Ephesians 2.10 tells us says that. It comes from the same word that we get the word poem. You are his poem. You are his narrative. He is eager to be with you. you. You are one with God and he will never leave you or forsake you. You are born again to a living hope. You are being transformed to look like Jesus. You have eternal life and no one can snatch you out of God's hand. Those are just a few of the thousands of truths that are true of you in Jesus. Now, if you're not, look at your neighbor, if you're not smiling a little bit right now, maybe you're not getting it. But this is really good news. And we can't just hear it once and get it forever. We have to hear it every single day. That God is gracious to us, that He shines upon us and He blesses us with His presence. I'm convinced that if we meditated more upon these truths in the person and work of Jesus and surrounded ourselves with people that would speak the gospel to our hearts, that we would stop trying to stitch our identity together with different activities that we're involved with, people that we share life with, and their approval, and the things that we're about. We would stop trying to find our identity in there. And the person in the work of Jesus would be the story of our hearts. And then sharing that message with the nations would be effortless. Because as, as the book of Luke chapter 6 says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What, whatever your heart is full of is what comes out of your mouth. And if faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of the Lord, then we've got to hear the gospel. And if our heart is full of the gospel, the gospel is going to come out. There's going to be no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, I'm going to ask you to honestly consider a question today. John 17, 3 says, and this is in the prayer that Jesus is praying. He says, now this is eternal life. That they know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ that you've sent. This is eternal life. That's what eternal life is, is knowing God through Jesus. Is knowing Jesus. Now, we could go along and we could play the church game all of the years of your life because you live in the South. You could be just like this Roos cat that, that wrote the book and he was faking it the whole time. You could, we could do that easily in Atlanta. The, the, the thing that I want you to consider today is, do I really know Jesus? Not do I know the church or know the people in the church or am in a discipleship group or leading something. I mean, guys, I read a story of a pastor that had been a pastor for four years that was not a Christian. You're saying, how does that happen? It happens a lot easier than you think that it does. It's when the gospel becomes confused and distorted that we lose. So consider that question today. Scale away everything else that crowds your mind when you think of the church and put Jesus at the center and ask yourself this question, do I know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you know those realities that he says are true of you? And if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to be very bold and humble enough to say, I've been in church for a long time, or maybe it's my first time. I don't know Jesus, and I want to. I want those realities to be true of me. And they are ours in faith. Because the rest of the sermon makes no sense if we don't sit in that for a few minutes. 
It doesn't matter what message needs to go forth to the nations if it hasn't gone forth in our hearts. I mean, you think about the Apostle Peter. He was with Jesus for three years. He grew up in the synagogue. And he didn't come to know Jesus until after those three years. Jesus restores him on the beach. Peter begins to follow him. It's possible. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't do yourself the disservice of faking it and thinking you're going to make it. Surrender your life to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to be thinking about that if God's kind of pulling something in your heart today. And I want you to let me know today, whether you throw it on a connect card or you come and talk to me after the service. Man, let's deal with that. Let's, let's, let's have that security that because we know Jesus, we have eternal life and we have the power to live out the gospel. Now, the second part of Psalm 67 is verses 3 through 7. It's really about the gospel going forth through us. That God's plan from the beginning of the world through the fall of man has always been to bless the nations. Even when he established Abraham and the people that would be his descendants, Israel, it was always his plan to bless the nations. You read that in Genesis 12. That his promise was to go for, to have descendants as numerous as the sand on the sea shore, and to, to always welcome the sojourner and the alien into the family. That's always been God's plan. So let's hear these words afresh now. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad. Now what are the nations? When this was written, the nations were all the peoples that were not a part of Israel. Now we could say the nations are all unbelieving people. Those are the nations. Those are the nations. And so the nations live on your cul-de-sac and they live in the far corners of the world. God is saying that his plan is for the nations to be glad through the work of Christ. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. You judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God. Our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all of the ends of the earth fear him. Now we hear this, and what, what I don't want you to hear is just another sermon on evangelism. That's not what we're going after here. What we're going after is the natural progression of the gospel in the hearts of his people. That's what's happening in Psalm chapter 67. Because your motivation to point people to Jesus can and, only, will all, can and always come only from Jesus. That's where the motivation comes from. Your concern for lost people will only be as deep as your concern for Jesus in your own heart, your own redemption. We can't afford to love other people if we don't feel loved. That's why Psalm 67 starts here. I love what D.T. Niles says about Christianity. He says this, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Do you hear the neediness in that line? One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's all we're doing, guys. That's all we're doing. We confuse it so much with the gospel. When we, we know that we have found the bread of life, the, 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 the fountain that never dries up, the, the person, the work of Jesus, when we know that we found that and it is welling up with inside of us and giving us life, telling the nations about it is really the easiest thing to do because it is flowing from our hearts. I mean, I think about the four friends in Mark chapter 2. If you're unfamiliar with the story, Mark chapter 2 
is a story about these four guys that have a friend that's a paralytic. Um, and so he can't walk, and they hear that Jesus is in town. And so, uh, and so these four friends are thinking, man, we got to get our buddy to Jesus. And so they put their, their friend on, on a mat, and they, they begin to walk to Jesus. I don't know how far they have to go, but they have to walk to Jesus. And they get to the house, and it's full of people. And so they look at each other, and they say, well, house is full. I guess we got to go back. Is that what happens? No, the jokers climb up on the roof. They start tearing the roof off. They start tearing the, 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 the thatched roof off of this thing. And I can imagine Jesus is in the middle of a great sermon. Everybody's listening, and the particles of the roof are falling on their head. Right? I mean, it's a crazy scene to think about. And they lower the friend down through. He's like, hey, G, I know you're preaching. I, this is kind of important, though. And they just lower him down through. And he ends up kind of probably, you know, like right in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus look up to the friends and say? Go and be healed, something like that, for the faith of your friends has healed you. That's what has to be true of every lost person. They, friends, here's the deal. Lost people don't know they're lost. The same way that I didn't know I was lost, I was just doing my best to get by in life just like you were. And then God met me. He met me through a couple boys on my basketball team. And they showed me Jesus. And I said, man, yes, that's it. Imperfectly following him, but yes, that's it. As this gospel swells in you, God will give you faith for your friends, and you'll do anything to get them to Jesus. See, we make it way more complicated because it's really about getting people to Jesus. This is why, like, my evangelism approach has just basically gone to this. Whatever I can do to get people in the Bible especially the gospel of John or Mark, I'm going to do. And, you know, sometimes there's different types of seeds for different types of situations. We just got to get people to Jesus. That's all it is. If it's a gospel-preaching church, we can bring them to church. If it's a missional community that they know we're going to hear the gospel in, bring them to that. Or if you just want to sit down and read it with them, answer their questions. We have to get people to Jesus because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of the Lord. And that's how the nations will be glad. That's how they'll be glad. I mean, I think about my son uh, a couple years ago. Uh, Maggie, our, our youngest uh, daughter, had been born, and Caden, uh, I guess, would have been around three. And, uh, you know, we were having a birthday celebration. My daughter Maggie and I are born on the same day. And so uh, we were having a birthday, a belated birthday celebration, I believe, or maybe it was before uh, she was born. And, and they had went to the store to buy me a gift. And, you know, Megan decided to take the kids with her because, you know, we had to do something with the kids, right? So she took them with her to the store, and, uh, and they get home, and she's telling them in the van, she tells me this later, hey, when we get in, don't tell them, don't tell Daddy that we got him a gift. It has to be a surprise. And they're like kind of all giddy like this, you know. They're like, so they walk in, and uh, Tatum's just kind of quiet, kind of this grin on her face. And Caden says, Daddy, we got you a shirt! <laughs> and he couldn't keep it in. He couldn't keep the secret in. Because he was so excited about it. He had been a part of it. He had been a part of that story and he wanted to see my face. He was eager for me to know. I think that's kind of what Jeremiah is saying in Jeremiah 29. You know, Jeremiah was called to, he was called to be a prophet to a people that didn't want to listen to him. And so he says, well, maybe the route is I just won't tell them anymore. I'll just keep my mouth shut. Maybe I just won't tell them God's word. I won't tell them the promises that are theirs. 
through faith in God. And so Jeremiah 29 records what Jeremiah responds with this conversation he's having with himself. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary with holding it in. I can't. I can't. Peter and John say in Acts chapter 4, after they're told not to speak the gospel anymore, they're like, hey, do whatever you want to with us, for we can't help about speaking what we've seen and heard. It's the natural progression of the transformed life to not be able to help to speak of it. Who cares if your friends are Christians? Still speak it to them. They need to hear it. We can't help but speak of what we've seen and, and, and heard. We can't help it. It is, it is more work for you. I think that Jeremiah 20 is saying this. It is more work for you to hold in the gospel than it is to release the gospel. Because the reality is, as John Piper says, is that the blessings are going to the nations. The question is, are we going to be driving the truck that they're going to the nations in or not? Is he going to fill up our truck and bless us as we bless the nations? Or is he going to fill up another truck? Now, this isn't prosperity gospel. This is just saying that God's purpose is to bless the world. His covenant people have always been expanding to be more inclusive. And he wants to bless the world, the nations, on your cul-de-sac and in the world throughout you. That's what he wants to do. And in it, we find who we are created to be as we live on God's mission. So here's my question. How do we bless the nations? How do we, how do we go about this? I think there's two things we've got to do. One is we've got to get clear about the gospel. And the gospel has to be the lifeblood of our lives. We've got to get clear about the gospel. And as I said earlier, listen, the thing we've got to do is be preaching the gospel to ourselves and putting people into our lives that are going to lovingly Encourage us along with the truths of the gospel. Not just the, the power to be converted and follow Jesus, but the power to obey him and walk with him all the days of your life. And so you'll see, as, as Mark, I think it's 9, says, you know, to the father that, that says, hey, do you want your father to be healed? And he says, I believe, I believe you can do that, Jesus, but help my unbelief. That's the story of every single one of us. We believe, but help my unbelief. That's what sanctification is. That's what it means to grow in Jesus. Is that the unbelief is slowly cast out more and more each day that we hear the gospel and follow him. And, and faith swells up in us more and more that we believe that God could actually do that. So we've got to understand the gospel. And the, the second one is this, is we have to understand our role and God's role in blessing the nations. I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is, this is the most helpful scripture on what it looks like to live on God's mission, uh, I, I found. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 6. I, I want you, as I read this, I want you to listen at how the gospel goes forth and who does what in the equation. Here's what it says. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or, or tamper with God's word, but by open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then he goes on to say this, and even if our gospel is veiled, means if it's not clear, we're preaching the true gospel, if it's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. 
It's veiled to those who don't believe, is what he's saying. In their case, and here is, here's the condition of every unbeliever in the world, okay? Here it is. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Did you hear that? Your friends, your neighbors, your family members, your children are blind. Telling a blind person to see is useless. So how do they see is the question. If all these people that are around us are blind and they may participate in the life of the church, or maybe they don't, how do we help them to see? He goes on to say this. For what we proclaim, that's a key word, we have to proclaim something, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what's my role in this? My role is to proclaim. It's to scatter seed. It's to have my tool belt, my bucket full of seed, ready to roll, to be filled up in Jesus. As, as uh, the scriptures say, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave it the growth. Your job is not to make converts. Some of us think that that's what we're supposed to do. And you're overwhelmed when you think about, man, how could I ever share Jesus with someone? How could I see them become a Christian? I don't even know what to say. You should be overwhelmed if that's the way that you look at it. Because you can't do it. Your job is to scatter the gospel. And, and, and we can be generous with scattering it because there's more seed than we could imagine because the gospel is sufficient enough for the sins of the whole world. Now, it's only efficient for those who would believe, but we can waste some gospel seed. There's enough. God's word doesn't return void. So our job is to scatter the seed all over the face of the, 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 the world. And some of you might actually be called to go to another place, to go to another country. In fact, our denomination right now, the PCA, is one of the things that we're really about is seeing 1% of our, our church members be called to, 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 to serve globally around the world, to scatter the gospel seed. And I've been praying that for our church. What if God would call you to do that? How cool would that be? How cool would it be to see a family of people get behind you and send you and say, go scatter seed in Jesus' name all over the world. And for the rest of us, we're busy scattering here. We're busy sowing seed generously in everything that we do. I mean, I think about just little situations where the gospel just comes out. It just kind of bleeds out of you. I mean, I think I've shared the story with you guys. But last Christmas, we go to Asheville every Christmas for a couple days because it's awesome, right? I mean, there's great food, uh, great entertainment. It's good stuff. And we're there, and Megan says, you know, I think I want to get a tattoo. And I said, no. <laughs> And she keeps asking me, and I'm like, ah, okay, if you want to get a tattoo, it's really meaningful to her. So she gets a tattoo, and while I'm sitting in the tattoo parlor, I don't have any tattoos, by the way. Um, I'm not opposed to them if you've got sleeves, you know, if people have got sleeves. I'm just the kind of guy that if I got a tattoo, I'd get like a whole arm sleeve. You know, I just wouldn't just get one. I wouldn't get a butterfly. I'd get the whole thing. And so, you know, we're sitting there in the tattoo parlor, and, you know, Megan's getting inked up, and a kitty, I think was her name, was the one that was doing the work, and she's doing a great job. And she just starts asking, so tell me about yourself. You know, what is this, why are you getting this tree on your arm? And Megan just starts telling her, and the, the lady stops the work. You know, she was trying to make small talk, but she stops the work, 
And she starts crying as Megan's telling her about the gospel. I'm not saying you've got to go get a tattoo to be an effective evangelist. If you want to try that, go for it. But ask your parents first if you're <laughs> minors. But, but I'm just saying it just naturally flowed out. Um, and I bet you have opportunities to do that every single day. When you're checking the mail and your neighbor is just, I mean, I remember a situation where my neighbor had just lost their job and I just kind of, just kind of lingered at the mailbox that day and we just kind of, just kind of talked about our faith in Christ and, and they kind of said, oh, that's good for you and kind of went back in, but that's okay. That's okay. We're scattering seed generously however we can. But God's role, what is God's role? It is to open blind eyes. All of the work lies on God's shoulders. It's in blessing the nations, and he is so eager to do it, but he's so pleased to use us. Verse 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he's going to wake up hearts is what he's going to do. But he's going to do it through the seed that we've sown. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of the Lord. So what you don't need today is 18 steps on how to share the gospel. That's not what you need. We've got too much of that. What we need is Jesus, front and center in our hearts. Jesus, front and center in our lives, in our marriages, in the context of our friends and communities, in our church, in our worship services. And we need to start dragging people to Jesus. <laughs> Maybe sometimes you do it physically. I don't care. No, I'm serious. Like, What does it look like for you to get people to Jesus? Because they don't know they're lost. God says, I'm going to bless the nations. We don't need more self-helpism. We need Jesus. And we don't, have to, we don't have to hoard the gospel thinking they're never going to believe. Let's leave that up to God. Let's ask Him to do that and to handle that. What we have to do, friends, is to strip away everything else that keeps us from Jesus. And so, so what, what, I want to bring back the first question that I ask. Is that gospel narrative true in your heart today? If it's not, don't quit pretending. We want to see you have life and a walk in the newness of that life. If he's not, do so, make a beeline for Jesus today. Come and talk to somebody. Let's follow Jesus together. And as God's servants, let's make a beeline for Jesus in our own hearts and for others. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you, and, and God, we don't want to hoard the gospel. There is so much seed to go around, and we know that your desire is to bless the nations, and that and that you have come to us, and you have made us your own. You have shown your face upon us so that we can have hope. So that we can be encouraged. And so, Lord, I pray for my friends in here in this room today, myself included. God, we are so, we are so torn on what our priorities should be. There's so many vices that try to lay siege on our hearts. I pray that you strip away everything this morning. Strip it all away and show us that the face of Jesus is smiling on us, that His countenance is pleasant, and He is more eager to love us than we are to be loved by Him. This is why He came. Release us to feel and know the person and work of Jesus today and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.